Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me. Darcy, give a shout out to the folks at home. Hello, folks at home. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> got a little storm going on in the background there? Dude, it is like, like really bad. Like I keep getting alerts. My phone keeps vibrating because we're getting emergency alerts for like flash flooding and we're in a tornado warning and so like... This might be the end times. So if you hear thunder and lightning in the background, then like run for cover, something like that. So we'll make it quick so we can let Miss Darcy um, shelter. I mean, I'm cool. I'm in a basement (laughs) that doesn't have any windows, but like, and I'm not really, I mean, I've had my fair share of bad tornadoes, but like, we might, I might lose power in the middle of the recording is, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Let's hope that does not happen. No bueno. So, mother, two-year-old son dead after the <gasps> fall from the third level at Petco Park before a Padres game. Yes. You hear this. Ugh, just Horrible. tragic. And I, I have been to this stadium Same. many, many times. A mother and her two-year-old son died a few weeks back after falling from the upper deck at Petco Park before the San Diego Padres game against the Atlanta Braves. The woman, 40, and her son were reportedly eating at a concession area on the third-level concourse at the stadium. Witnesses told the Union Tribune they suddenly saw the pair falling from the third level down to the street below. The fall was about six Mm. stories. The two have not been identified, but were pronounced dead at the scene just minutes before the first pitch was thrown. I'm shocked that they had the first pitch. Seriously. And I do think they actually did identify the woman. I I believe that they did as well, but the child's father was at the stadium too. And it was unclear if he was right. with them when they fell. And the incident is still kind of under investigation. But And they've called wow. it suspicious. Horrific. But, like, they're not explaining why. And, like, it it's... seems weird. Like, if you've been to that area, it's not easy to fall from I, that I area. I can't picture where in the stadium it is. But, like. It's on the street side or on the other side. Like, on the less, like, kind of popular area. There's a bunch yeah. of, like, food places at the a couple stories up and it's, it's not, there's like a, it's not an easy yeah. place to fall from. So I'm like, how the heck did they, the mother so and the son fall One of from the that? stories that I saw had a witness statement say like, she thought she saw them and she was like, wow, they're really close. And then like the next moment she saw the child go over first and then the woman go over after. And it kind of sounded like the woman went over trying to grab her child or something. I don't know. Oh my I ha- god! I mean, that could be just completely horrific. wrong, but like that's just one thing that I read, and I haven't done a whole lot of research on this. That's the only way I can see something like that happen: is the kids climbing up somewhere, and the mom is trying to grab him, yeah. and ends up falling herself. Like that just and I don't tragic know that and really, I haven't really seen sad. a story of somebody that like saw them actually fall. I think everything I've seen is just like the aftermath. There's somebody that saw them right before they fell, and then somebody like you know they looked away and yeah. then they looked back, and then they had fallen or something. I don't know, but like it's. God, it's so horrible. Can you imagine too? It's real, like it's right before the first pitch. That it's probably pretty crowded. Like to see something uh-uh. like that happen at a baseball game, just and they it's just gotta and be awful. I, I really, truly can't believe they continued with the game. No, me either. Like, but I mean, whew. Anyway, um, very, very sad case. Um, I just thought there was a San yeah. Diego connection there, and I just thought that was interesting, and and was curious whether anything had come out later about foul play. I haven't seen any updates on it. Other than them calling it suspicious, but I don't so, know exactly what that means. Yeah. Yeah, me either. And they mm-hmm. did not specify. So if there's an investigation that's ongoing, then they probably won't yeah. until it's completed, which yeah. could be weeks. So, and where's the dad during all this? Uh, yeah. Because he was there. Yeah, he was in the stadium, but that's all I've heard. Yeah. Maybe he just went to the restroom and all that happened when he was peeing. Or maybe he I was still know. at the seats and they went to get food. I, I mean, just... Yeah, I don't know. But in any case, um, there was another interesting little blurb that came up today that really had us both on the edge of yeah. our seat. Talk to me about it a so little bit. So I am a fan of checking TMZ. I just, I, uh, guilty habit, guilty. Dun, dun, dun. It's like gossip website yeah. 101. For those of you who don't know what TMZ is and living under a rock somehow, kind of explain to the I mean, the it's basically just a celebrity gossip site, but they are like the they were like the pioneers of like, civilian celebrity paparazzi so like of flashing britney crotch shots because i'm pretty they sure did that's that what they did. years ago yeah i mean I'm, it, it's not great i'm not like defending tmz so i'm not i've checked in tmz and i see this case this headline that's like zodiac killer identified and i'm like what's happening now yeah. 
because that seems like something bonkers that case has been ongoing for the longest time and it's really since the late 60s and i mean i think everybody probably if you're listening to the show is familiar has at least heard of the zodiac killer but he was a serial killer well yeah somebody somebody that's tied to five or six killings um in the late 60s in the bay area and they have never found out who he was um he taunted the media and the police he wrote notes he called in you know various things they've never been able to find out who he was um so i see this on tmz and i'm like all right because normally when they break news like you sometimes somebody else has already right. bro- broke it right they're never the yeah. first one yeah so i'm like okay let me see like let me check like nbcnews.com nothing let me check cnn.com nothing can't find anything so i go back to the link and or I go back to the TMZ story, and the link takes you to foxnews.com. And they were the only, like, big-name news, national, national news source to pick this up. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on this. I send it to okay. you, and I'm like, let's keep an eye on this story because if somebody else picks it up, like, we're going to talk about this, like, like a double confirmation thing. So, yeah. anyway, so I'm keeping an eye on this story. It's, like, bonkers. TMZ has identified the, na- the, per- the name of the person, but it's, a, it's all alleged. So... I found this article in the San Francisco Chronicle, and the the headline is the Zodiac Killer case solved. Case Breakers group makes an ID, but police say it doesn't hold up. So this is like the only thing I've seen that's like legit journalism about it. So this story, so obviously like San Francisco San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco FBI, local police, they get news like they get tips all the time. People calling in saying like this i i'm pretty sure like my uncle is a zodiac killer kind of a thing and they look into it and you know it typically doesn't ever go anywhere but this group is called this the case breakers and they are made up of former journalists and law enforcement officers and they have been investigating cold cases for the past 10 years and they say we've identified this guy um so they say that um, so Zodiac Killer killed five people between 1968 and 69. Um, and this Case Breakers group says that they've also linked him to a murder in Riverside County, which would be Southern California. The Riverside police mm-hmm. have already said that there's no link between that. Um, the FBI has said there's no link between that. So what's the deal with this group? Okay. So this guy lived in um, Tulum County. I don't know how you pronounce it, but um, and and they got a tip because a relative of his said he tried to kill him with a hammer. Um, this guy contacted the investigators, but when the San Francisco Chronicle followed up, they said they couldn't find any connections. The newspaper kind of left it, and this was years ago. Um, yeah. They also, this person also, or the case breakers have also called about the $50,000 reward for solving this case. Hmm. And then when case break, when, when the law enforcement followed up, they kind of got their runaround. So they didn't really follow up with that. Um, the local law enforcement basically says that, um, they, they, there's not been enough evidence to ever conclusively prove that this was their guy. And this, this case breakers group um, claims in the past 10 years, because that's according to this article, that they've only been around for 10 years looking into this. Um, they've also solved the case of D.B. Cooper um, and what? the case of Jimmy Hoffa. So a very prolific um cold case investigations here that's happening by this wait the case of db cooper's been no, solved that's what i'm saying that that's what this this group is <laughs> they're okay. claiming they've solved db cooper and jimmy hoffa's murders it's like um, yeah wait a minute you would think Something you would have right. heard that huh does not pass the sniff test <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would have come out yeah the news exactly so sure. um Basically, they say that they linked this person that they have identified as the alleged Zodiac killer because he has some scars on his face that match um, the suspect drawings. 
Yeah. So that's kind of it. This guy died uh, three years ago. He was 80 years old. Um, there's some relatives of his that say that without a doubt they think he is this that he was a Zodiac killer. Um, so, may, I mean, maybe. Maybe it's this guy. But I saw this headline. I freaked out because I thought it was going to be another thing like the Golden State Killer. And turns out, like, this is just... For right now, it's sounding kind of bogus. Um, there's only ever been yeah. named one official suspect in the case. His name... Let me look this up. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Arthur Lee Allen of Vallejo. He's the only other person that's been named as a suspect. He died in 1992. Um, and since then, there's kind of never been any further um, hmm. further progress on it. I mean, there, 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 a couple years back, there was like a group in Virginia that, that broke his other code, code letter. Um, but it did, they said it didn't say anything. Like, it didn't have anything important. But this case, the, this case breakers, the other thing I thought was funny is um, they said that they were able to break his some of his coded letters that hadn't been broken yet because he put his own name in, in, the, um, in the code, and you had to have his name to be able to decode this. So, like, hmm. it would have been an impossible thing to – so they're like, well – we took this this conclusion that we had, and then we made it fit our data, and now everything makes sense. It's definitely this guy. It's kind of what it sounds like they did. Oh my God. So, but at the same time, though, I understand like these outlets get stuff on a rapid, rapid pace, and it's like they kind of have to put it, and they can later disclaim it. But if they don't put it, and and it actually ends up being true, then they yes. Are well, so that's that's TMZ's justification. What's Fox News's justification? Yeah. I don't know. Fox just jumped on the bandwagon there somehow. Right. Like, I understand why TMZ, and, and everybody's using a legend, so nobody's, you know, in any legal trouble or whatever. But, yeah. But, like, I get TMZ putting it out there like, these guys have found the Zodiac Killer allegedly, but then, like, they link it to a Fox News story. And that's when I was like, hold on. I'm Wait not 100% a minute. sure. Yeah, hold so. on. Wait a minute. Hold up. Yeah, so um, I paid a whole 99 cents over the course of eight weeks to subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle to get that story out to you guys. So, you know, <laughs> hit us back. <laughs> right. hit, hit us with a like and subscribe. <laughs> get it together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if there's any updates on this and if they actually have solved the Zodiac Killer case, we will cover that case uh, in um, full. Highly but doubt it. But <laughs> I'm thinking this isn't the guy. Not feeling super encouraged by this, but, yeah. you know, whatevs. Okay. Um, anything else on that before nope. we head to the main case for the day? Nope. This one is a doozy. Okay. We're going to talk about Eric Williams. You know who this guy is? Eric Williams. It's a very generic name. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. The story begins in rural Kaufman, Texas at a courthouse. This is a leisurely little town. Not a lot of strangers. Lots of open country. This is where Assistant District Attorney Mark Hassey works okay. as a prosecutor. He has prosecuted some of the worst criminals in Texas. He is tenacious. He is intelligent. He is good at his job. He works with organized crime at the DA's office. Okay? Uh -huh. A 911 call comes in saying that a, someone has been shot in the face in Ooh. cold blood outside the courthouse. Oh. It's Mark Cassie. Okay. And what year is this? Um, this is 2013. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So Mark was not afraid, and he was very passionate about flying. He liked vintage planes. He survived several very severe accidents and had even a serious brain injury at one point. Whoa. He was strong, but he had a, a really big sweet tooth. Dun, dun, dun. Me too. Mm -hmm. um, in 2011, Mike McClellan was the new district attorney, and he and Mark Hassey became close friends. And Mike and his wife, Cynthia, like fit right into the office. They were friendly and generous, and they kind of created this really nice bond with Mark Hassey. Mark was single, 57 years old, no kids. But he worked in this office, loved his job, and loved doing what he did until January 31st, 2013, around 9 a.m., 
when everyone heard those gunshots and there were five of them in rapid succession. This was clearly a targeted hit. Yeah. Okay. You don't have someone come up and shoot you close range in the head if it's not a targeted hit. It's not a random thing when you've got a situation like that. Everyone heard sirens and discovered that Mark had been the one shot. He had been shot about a block from the courthouse when he was parking his car and heading into work. Um, This was brazen. And it seemed very personal. And whoever had done it fled pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Despite CPR, Mark, having been shot in the face, which just seems absolutely horrific, Mm -hmm. died shortly thereafter. And the courthouse was immediately put on lockdown. This how this happened out in the open in yeah. town square. So like this is like not a typical thing. Shootings like this and shootings in general typically do not happen out in the open where someone can see the perpetrator doing it and getting away. In the middle of the day. Yeah. Yeah. But there was no time to grieve and the area was pretty much canvassed and locked down. There were at least two people involved in the sh- because the shooter had gotten into a passenger side of a getaway car. Okay. And it was a silver slash tan or gray kind of car, like a Taurus. Uh-huh. And it had been ID'd, but there were no license plates. Hmm. So okay. whoever did this kind of thought, oh, maybe. And it's a very nondescript, nondescript type of a vehicle, like yeah. a Taurus. And, like if you, and that was a big thing back in the 90s. I remember there were so many Ford Tauruses on the road back then that it was crazy. I happened when I first moved out to uh, California. You did? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, tan or silver was, like, they were everywhere. silver, yeah. The four-door sedan seemed to blend right in, and the shooter had on a black hoodie, dark clothes, and his face had been covered. He had some Mm -hmm. kind of a mask or something on. Witnesses believe that the two, both the shooter and the perpetrator, knew each other because they kind of spoke before the whole thing happened or as it was happening. But there was no weapon on the scene and no shell casings either. So it had to have been a revolver where the bullet casings remain inside the gun after yeah. the shot, right? Everybody was super freaked out. And I worked at the courthouse for a while um, in several instances. Um, I did projects at a law school with the courthouse in um, Santa Clara County. Mm-hmm. I did projects in the Seattle courthouse. And I did projects in the San Diego courthouse in downtown San Diego. And mm-hmm. I did projects in the Chula Vista and vista courthouses Mm -hmm. so like i know what it's like when there is a shooter type situation when there's a lockdown and it is scary even when there's not actually one if there's like a bomb threat or something else going on there have been instances where i got stuck in the courthouse for hours because it was locked down Mm. and it's it's a really scary kind of a situation but that's what happened yeah someone's killed and it wasn't even in the courthouse it was just a staff member there and so they locked everything down and no one felt safe in this small community. It's a really small town. I mean, if, if you can imagine being in like, I'm trying to think of a small town in San Diego. If you could imagine being in like Encinitas or something like that. Oh, I mean, it's wow. It's just scary. Yeah. And no one felt safe. And extra security was provided for people who were working at the courthouse, but it was locked down to the public for a while there. And the district attorney, because the assistant district attorney was the one that was shot, but mm-hmm. the uh, district attorney was Mike McClellan, and he made a statement vowing to find the perpetrator and punish him to the fullest extent of the law. So this guy was like, I don't care who you are, we're going to find you, and we're right. going to bring you to justice. He vowed that. And I think being that he was a very close friend to Mark Cassie was like, he felt even more strongly about it. Sure. Um, security was tight after that um, in Kaufman County, and the district attorney supported allowing employees to carry guns privately. So he was like, they were paying for training courses and getting concealed weapon permits for anyone that wanted one that was uh, an employee of the courts. I don't mean to sound crass, but I'm kind of surprised that wasn't already a thing in Texas. Um, Perhaps, but I mean, not everyone is into that kind of thing. No, 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 I know. But local police, Texas Rangers, and federal agents descend to help. And they create a team of special prosecutors who were appointed to help with this case Mm -hmm. because they believe it was a revenge hit that someone wanted to pay back Mark for putting a criminal away. And Mark had prosecuted hundreds of cases. So like it, it would not have been beyond the realm of possibility that someone that he had prosecuted was coming back. 
they looked at recent cases and people he had prosecuted and no immediate leads sort of appeared. Even after pulling in everyone with outstanding arrest warrants and everyone that he'd prosecuted recently, there was nothing. And they kept widening the search further and further, but nothing seemed to be a viable option. And friends, family, and associates were interviewed. They did background checks on everyone and nothing came up. Mark was single. He didn't have any kids. Like there, there are no leads in this case. Right. Everything just everything that was a potential lead dried up very quickly. And DA Mike McClellan had to bow out of the investigation because of his close personal mm-hmm. connection with Mark. But he vowed that he would cooperate in any way that he could. He opened up his files to the investigators and basically gave them carte blanche, the courthouse. Um, but Mark's personal connections yielded no leads either. So they determined that it had to be some sort of a professionally related thing. To his mm-hmm. related to his career as an assistant DA. Yeah. Four weeks after Mark's death, the Crime Stoppers line, they, you know, the Crime Stoppers tip line? Yeah. Pops up an anonymous tip. And someone says they'd been in a bar in Kaufman and overheard two white males talking about the Hassey killing and taking credit for it. Hmm. So this is interesting. It's a good tip, but there are no significant details. And yeah. the tip is anonymous. So, um, but this point blank type of a, this point blank type of an execution style killing made them think that it was organized crime, that these two gentlemen were involved in some sort of organized oh. crime, either the Mexican drug cartel, which happens in Texas cause it's mm-hmm. close to the Mexican border or that is the Aryan brotherhood of Texas. Whoa. Um, doozy right either one is not a good option that you've Uh -uh. got some scary individuals in both of those um the Aryan brotherhood is a little less well known than the mexican cartel but they're still dangerous and they're known primarily for being a prison gang of white supremacists Mm -hmm. and they had recently indicted 34 cases for racketeering and these have been a few months prior to mark's death so they're thinking that maybe the white Aryan Brotherhood of the 34 indicted for racketeering that one of them or some of them or all of them had something to do with this hit on Mark Hassey. Okay. Um, And then there's another shooting seven weeks after Hassey's death. And this time it's in Colorado. It's the Colorado head of in the department of corrections. He shot and killed. His name is Tom Clements and he was the head of the prison system there in Colorado. And he was shot inside the front door of his home. Whoa. And they get a little bit luckier in this time, and they find that every bit of evidence they have points to a man by the name of Evan Ebel. He was a former inmate and a white supremacist gang member, similar to the one that the Aryan Brotherhood runs, mm-hmm. but not, not the same one. But it's still kind of the same thing. Um, he goes on the run. He is armed and dangerous, and a deputy stops him for mismatched license plates and gets shot in the face. Whoa. The deputy that stopped him, which just highlights how really scary it can be for those police officers that are out on the road working. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very, very dangerous. But um, he actually survives. This guy that got shot, this deputy oh that got shot in the face on this traffic stop. Thank God, right? And he actually died in a shootout, though, while the police were chasing him in Wise County, Texas. The so he, evil. Evil dies okay. in a shootout with the police. In Texas. Yeah. So he like escapes, goes on the run, gets stopped by that police officer, makes a run for the for the Texas border, and actually dies in a shootout not too long wow. after, which okay. wild, right? Yeah. Um, but they think because of the close proximity, because he gets shot in Texas, that it's related to the Mark Cassie case. Uh huh. Um, and they just think that maybe this guy, this Evan Evil guy, killed the Colorado guy and killed Mark Cassie as well. That he has some kind of a vendetta against law enforcement officials okay um but as police and authorities continue to investigate they find that the bullets in evil's gun match those in the death of the the colorado prison official but Mm -hmm. not mark hassey's death okay so these two things are not connected okay the investigative team dwindles as the time passes and people let their guard down again as things get back to normal which as they do um, D.A. Mike McClellan and his wife, Cynthia, began the slow process of getting back to their normal lives as well. 
And Easter weekend 2013, Cynthia McClellan is making a big Easter dinner for her family and friends, and she's doing Easter baskets for the grandkids, and she really loved this holiday. Um, the next Saturday morning, Cynthia rises early and starts texting friends about some of the things that are going on, and then she fails to answer any text in return, which is okay. extremely unusual. The family starts calling, and neither Cynthia or Mike could be reached. By mid-afternoon, the family gets super worried, and they decide to go check on the family at their home. And a close family member stops by mid-afternoon to find the paper never had been picked up, and Cynthia McClellan's car was still in the driveway, which kind of set the alarm bells off. But then they were yeah. like, well, I mean, maybe they're off with someone else. Who knows? But something wasn't right, and multiple family members arrive as well, and they all go knock on the front door and they notice the doors open. They open it um, when there's no answer and it, the door kind of swings open and the family finds shell casings inside the door. Oh no. Yeah. Which is never a good sign. No. And then they find Cynthia McClellan dead in the living room floor. Mm. Mike was next and his body was riddled with bullets. So he was like the target. Yes. But she was kind of collateral damage. They right. believe. Um, the killer was long gone by then, so the family calls the Kaufman County Sheriff's Office to preserve the crime scene evidence. Normally, in, I think in circumstances like that, you might call 911, get an ambulance, try to save them, but it was clear to everyone there that they were long gone. There was no, right. no resuscitation or anything that, that, like that that was going to happen, so they needed to preserve that crime scene evidence, right. which good on them for being smart about that. Um, the scene was meticulously inspected, and everyone was freaked out again. Because they knew that the McClellan and Hassey murders had to be connected. Because mm -hmm. those two men worked together. Family members, court staff, prosecutors, etc. Everyone that was involved thought that they could be the target next. Deputies put guards on all court personnel. And the DA normally kept guns by the door. So they suspected that McClellan possibly knew his killer. Because Mike was like a prepared dude. And this happened and kind of caught yeah. him off guard. The door had not been kicked in. The killer had used an AR-15 in this case. Whoa. This was a loud and rapid-fire gun. And the victim's partially dressed bodies showed that they clearly had not been expecting company. So this is interesting facts and details yeah. here. This guy was a quick, efficient killer. According to home security footage, he entered the home a little before 7 a.m. and left within two minutes. You said two? Two. Oh, my God. 20 shots in two minutes. Oh, my God. So, obviously, it's a semi-automatic gun, right? An yeah. AR-15. But, like, that's quick. Yeah. And, obviously, this is another targeted killing. No neighbors heard or saw anything, which is very unusual because an AR-15 is loud. I mean, is it, like, a huge neighborhood where everything's, like, spaced out? No. Oh. So, it's unusual. But it's also early morning on the weekend. And you know how people are. You kind of hear something somewhat unusual and you really don't pay that much attention to it anymore. I mean, it's just yeah, kind of the way things are. But, um, and I think everyone had kind of eased their guard down a little bit after the Hassey thing and no right. one was really expecting something like that. And they knew that Mike was prepared, the neighbors and friends that knew him. So yeah. I don't think anyone was overly concerned. So yeah. interesting. Then another tip arrives to the tip line and they had a lot of tips at that time, but FBI special agents believed that McClellan and Hassey deaths were connected and it was confirmed mm -hmm. by another anonymous tip to the tip line. And they suspected more than one person was involved. Again, and I think they kind of confirmed from the Hassey case that there was a getaway driver, so there had to be mm -hmm. more than one person. And this call kind of confirmed that because they referred to themselves as we in this tip call. So mm. they're like, okay, there's got to be more than one person. And the killer confirms weapon details that no one would know but the killer. And so they start to think this person is legitimate. And the caller assures them, or the tipster, I think they did it by text. I think the, there's an anonymous text tip line, and there's no way to distinguish who that person is the way they do it. Because they mm -hmm. assign it, I think, a number or something like that rather than a line. And there's no yeah. way to kind of trace that back. But um, the caller the anonymous caller assures them that no more killings will happen if one of the judges in kaufman county steps down by the end of the week do they name a judge or just say any of the they judges? name judges like specific names for kaufman county judges and they're like if, if one of these guys steps down no more killings will happen 
Jesus. It's very specific. So they're thinking this has got to be a local person. Yeah. It cannot be someone. It's got to be a Kaufman person. So ex, the Aryan Brotherhood and the Mexican cartel are pretty much ruled out because of these little facts and details in this tip that's called mm-hmm. in. And Monday morning, there's a media frenzy, and the DA's office was closed to the public because they're like, okay, we've got stuff going on. This is major. Yeah. And surveillance video is studied, and they look at it pretty extensively and find a white Ford Crown Victoria cruising around where it shouldn't be in the videotapes. Around his house or the DA's office? Um, in both instances, both the Hassey killing and in the Mike McClellan oh. case, they find this, this Crown Victoria Whoa. car, which is a police type of a car. Yep. And usually there's some sort of a law enforcement connection with these type of cars, mm-hmm. right? And investigators start combing through cases and find only one where Mark McClellan and, or excuse me, where Mike McClellan and Mark Hassey have both been involved. And it's the case of a man by the name of Eric Williams. Okay. So this was a felony case that had been tried with the district attorney being involved. And this man was a former deputy sheriff, an attorney, and a, and actually a justice of the peace as well, Whoa. which is um, community votes on this and elects this individual as yeah. a publicly effect, a publicly elected official. Um, the office for this man was right across from the courthouse and he'd been elected, elected justice of the peace in 2011. Eric Williams was intelligent, a Mensa member. Whoa. He was known to be a great judge. He was married with no kids and he was known for his prosecution in child abuse cases, or excuse me, his really fair and even just decisions in child abuse cases. Um, he's an exceptional person and who had been in the state guard as well. Hmm. Coworkers and colleagues respected him and he was well known in family law. Okay. Family and friends spoke very highly of him. And this was pretty much a shock when he was accused of theft. And this was in 2012, he stole three computer monitors. You're kidding. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I mean, sorry. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. So he stole three computer monitors from the county IT department for personal use in 2012. He claimed that he needed the new equipment, but never got it. But the prosecutor said there was no written request and Mark and Mike prosecuted the case because Williams was an elected official. So they like took special interest in it because this person is supposed to be serving the public, not stealing from the public. Mm -hmm. It was a violation of public trust, essentially. Mm -hmm. After a very brief trial, which I believe they offered him a plea bargain where he could plead guilty to a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And of course he's smart and he's an attorney and he says, no way I'm going to trial. And he's convicted and found guilty of theft. His sentence was only probation, but, mm-hmm. and this is a kicker. He ended up losing his job and his license to practice law. Wow. So in this sort of a situation, He's going to have a very angry disposition, right? Because he lost his job and his license to practice law. But he torpedoed all of this for three computer monitors. Yeah. One year later, both prosecutors were dead. So this happened a year after the prosecution for the three computer monitors. But Williams was interviewed after the death of McClellan, and he seemed totally normal. He was not a suspect. Okay. After a police interview... They actually test for gunshot residue, and he passes. And he gives every indication that he's not guilty of anything, Mm -hmm. right? And he doesn't own a Crown Victoria, and none of them... There's no indication that a Crown Victoria is anywhere in his possession. And because Eric Williams was represented by a legal team, police could not question him. But they get lucky, and suddenly they get an email from his legal team, from Eric Williams' legal team, and it says they don't need, they don't represent him anymore, and it's go time. So they jump in before he has a chance to get another team of attorneys or attorney or whatever, and FBI mm-hmm. profilers ask a Texas Ranger to go question Williams. And they take a local cop that Williams knows, along with a tape recorder that's hidden, um, and go interview Eric Williams. And he tells him he doesn't have any guns. And he says he's had to sell all the guns he had to survive since he'd lost his job. 
Okay. And then they kind of question him a little further, and he admits he had one, and he lets them look around. And at that time, the team starts finding gun parts scattered around the house. Uh, and they think, okay, well, maybe one of these matches the McClellan killings. Mm, not really. It's kind of random. But then they okay. check William's computer and find that for the period leading up to both murders, Williams had done searches for McClellan and Hassey on his computer. Even though they asked him earlier, hey, have you done this? And he said no. Yeah. So they got him in a lie. Yeah. And this allows them to get a search warrant along with the gun parts around the house for a more in-depth investigation of Eric Williams' house. So they find a manual and title for a Crown Vic, lo and behold, in a hidden little area. And the Crown Vic had been registered under a false name. Surprise, surprise, wow. right? They also find a bunch of papers and correspondence that pretty much shows that he's the one that gave the anonymous tips provided in the Crime Stoppers tip line. So he's all like... So he called in the tip on himself? Yeah. Or no, he called in the tips because he was like, hey, somebody else did. He was trying to throw them off his scent. Oh, I see. Okay. He'd, wow. He'd done he was really bad at yeah, it. Yeah. Well, he'd done searches for fake tips and how to throw off the police. I'll never like, discover this. All on his personal computer. So, yeah. like, I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant. But yet, I don't even know the basic computer rules that nothing is really erased from your computer and I'm doing all these searches and the police are going to find all of it but I'm so smart I'm a Mensa member I'm smarter than everyone mm. and they're like I don't think so <laughs> and this is proof all the proof that's needed that Williams was involved somehow and they yeah. arrest him but not for murder they arrest him for making a terrorist threat to a judge because they get him okay. for oh right right and yeah. this allows them the time to get more evidence compiled against Eric Williams. Mm -hmm. And they're convinced that he's got to have some kind of a storage unit somewhere because even though they found the manual at the house for the Crown Vic, they didn't find the car. Yeah. So they're like, there has to be a storage place somewhere where this dude is keeping things. Because they do, do they still think somebody else is involved, or are they just looking? They do. Just focusing on him? They do, oh, but okay. they're focused on him primarily because he's kind of in front and center. Gotcha. And he's got all these gun parts around his house, so they're like, "This yeah. has got to be involved. This has got to be the primary person involved in this." Okay. And then a tip comes in, providing details on a storage unit that has been rented to Eric Williams. They got freaking lucky as heck on this Seriously, case. Seriously, with all these tips. Um, like, and there's fake ones and there's real ones. But for them to be searching to try to find this car and some sort of evidence related to this car and then have yeah. someone be like, oh, hey, my name is so-and-so. And I think I rented Eric Williams a storage unit. Yeah. I mean, that's just luck. Pure, blind luck. Uh, investigators descend on Eric Williams' secret storage unit. It's number 18 in Cedarville, Texas. And okay. they're like racing to this scene, convinced they're going to find all the details that they were looking for. And they were right. Uh -huh. They open the door and guess what they find? Crown Vic. Mm, dun, dun, dun. Yes, the Crown Vic. But that's not all. All the guns. They find police uniforms, bulletproof vests, Whoa. police badges. They find weapons, but they send them to the lab and the results showed no match. So this was okay. kind of a minor setback. But there was also, this is the weirdest part, jars filled with napalm. I'm sorry? Napalm. No, I heard you. I just... Yeah. So... How do you find... How do you get... He's got our pickle jars filled with napalm, which is like a chemical weapon, pretty much. Like an explosive, like, inflammatory yeah. liquid that they fill like bombs and things with and it just lights everything on fire it was used a lot in vietnam yes how do you horrific horrific dangerous it's homemade napalm so somehow he's looked online and figured out how to make homemade napalm jesus yeah this is like major major like what do they call it domestic terrorist mm -hmm. at its finest he's a domestic terrorist basically and but they're looking at this, though, and they're saying, although they find this Crown Vic, the weapons do not match the murder weapons. So this mm -hmm. kind of ends up making it more of a circumstantial type of a case. Right. But April 18th, 2013, 10 weeks after Hassey was shot and three weeks after McClellan was murdered and his wife, 
prosecutors charged Williams with three counts of murder and determined That's that the quick. motive the motive had to have been revenge because they basically made it so that he lost his job. Yeah. December 2014, the trial for Eric Williams begins. Prosecutors decide to try the Cynthia McClellan case in the first trial and only okay. that case, right? So although he was initially charged with three counts of murder, they try for the Cynthia McClellan murder just in case. Because they're like, yeah. if something goes wrong, we want to be able to get another chance. Because you only mm -hmm. get one bite at that apple. If you try all three at once and fail, then you're yeah. done. You don't get another yeah. bite at that apple. Um, they also believe that if they get a conviction on this case, then it could make it easier to prove Mike's murder and um, Mark Hassie as well. So, like, you're pretty much a golden goose if sure. for some reason you get that one. You definitely are going to get those other two. Um, no murder weapon was presented at trial. But a bullet from the storage unit did match the casings at the murder scene. Ooh. And cameras linked Williams' movements to murder times and locations. Mm, okay. So this was a good connection as well. But this was risky as well because, again, these are all circumstantial type pieces of mm -hmm. evidence. Defense claims that there was no murder weapon and the state had not proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Eric was the one that did all of this. Mm -hmm. And they're like, there's just no way. They bring all these character witnesses in front. There's like, here's this, he was an Eagle Scout. He was an, an attorney. He was in the state guard. They're like throwing all these character witnesses out to say, oh, this is a wonderful man. There's no way he could do anything like this. Mm -hmm. And when you look at him and you hear him speak, and he does an interview with, with the police and with the news and the media and everything. And he just does not sound like he could be the kind of person that would do something like this. Yeah. But the jurors deliberate for about 90 minutes before coming back with a guilty verdict. And he's eligible for the death penalty in this case. Oof. And the irony was Mike had made no secret that he thought Eric was responsible for Mark Hassie's death. Really? Yeah. But he knew that they didn't have the proof that they needed to convict this. And so he was kind of waiting for more evidence uh. to come forward. Eric Williams looked and acted so normal, but he had a very dark side, obviously. And he had an accomplice. And who do you think that accomplice was? I have no idea. Let's try his wife, Kim. Whoa, okay. So they'd been married for 15 years, and prosecutors interviewed her. And initially she was like, yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. And they push her and push her and push her. And then eventually she cracks and she admits that she drove the getaway car and she gives them all the details. Oh and boy. of course they're offering her, you know, um, a plea bargain Yeah. in exchange for all the details. So she won't get the death penalty and she won't be prosecuted for murder. She gets 40 years in prison instead, but she admits that she helped her husband carry out all these murders. She didn't actually do any shooting, mm -hmm. but she drove the getaway car and she saw him do all this stuff and was able to provide details on his participation in these murders and, and planning of these murders for premeditation reasons, obviously. Mm -hmm. But she said they actually ran dress rehearsals. Ugh, puke. Like, who does that? What Seriously. kind of crazy ass does that? He dressed like a policeman to gain access. And after the murder, the two had actually grilled steaks and relaxed on the deck outside. So he was, like, happy and satisfied at the revenge that he had gotten by killing people in cold wow. blood. And Kim also helped her husband get rid of the evidence. She dumped murder weapons in a lake nearby and they actually were able to retrieve these and they showed a, a match to the, the weapons that had murdered these people. So now they, they have also, the link. Yeah, they do. They have that conclusive link. And he also planned to kill a judge with a crossbow, this Eric Williams guy. Whoa. And he was, like, planning this very detailed revenge where he would, like, poke a hole in this guy's stomach and pour the napalm in. He says that's Holy what the napalm Lord. was for. But I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to have a whole bunch of jars of napalm in a storage unit and just use them to pour it in one guy's stomach. Yeah. I think and he also that he thinks sort that's, of... like, going to be minimally damaging? Like, what is yeah. he? I just feel like he was going to use it for something bigger. Oh, yeah. But he was going to pour napalm in this poor guy's stomach and bury him in a shallow grave. Jesus Christ just very chilling just cold-blooded and brutal yeah and he gets um death penalty lethal injection he's the prosecutors and everyone that knows him outside of family and friends believe he's a threat to everyone even in prison mm -hmm. 
I mean, clearly he's very, very intelligent and he was able to get away with this, you know, and he probably would have if he had, had not slipped, you know what I mean? Or that yeah. person had not done the tip off, but obviously Kim pled guilty and got 40 years. Um, she got that deal with no murder charges and all of this over three computer monitors. Seriously. That's the thing I can't get over. Yeah. Just incredible. I mean, like that he would flip I don't mean like it that over a couple sound of like there's a, like a reasonable amount of things that do these thing crimes over but like three computer monitors it's just ridiculous it yeah. just shows you how easy he would snap over something stupid yeah um i was just gonna look up there's a couple there was a update on this case but clearly like and the thing is they offered him the misdemeanor charge he could have kept his job he could have not lost his law license but he thought he was so smart i'm gonna beat this rap and i'm gonna get over this and i'm gonna keep doing my job Uh, and the thing was it just blows my mind because he was a good man he was a good attorney he was excellent judge and everybody that knew him was like so happy about how he was fighting for children's rights and he does this just incredible but um let's see here he was seeking a new trial and on appeal this was 2019 august 2019 the man who assassinated kaufman county district attorney mike mcclellan and his wife cynthia is seeking a new trial he received a death sentence for cynthia mcclellan's murder but was also charged with the murder of county prosecutor mark Cassie in what prosecution argued was a case of violent revenge the murders and the trial captured national attention the judge reserved time for proceeding to go on if necessary through the end of the week monday's test and this obviously came in a little bit before COVID, but Monday's testimony came from attorneys involved in uh, prosecuting Williams. He was wearing a striped prison jumpsuit and appearing with a full beard. He is a death row convicted killer because he'd been convicted first for the Cynthia Williams case, but he was escorted into court on Monday. His appellate team was trying to convince the judge he deserved a new trial or a new penalty phase for his conviction. In 2013, a former justice of the peace, he was arrested for three murders that rocked Kaufman County. The ambush and execution-style killing of Kaufman County prosecutor Mark Hassie happened not far from the county courthouse. Mike and Cynthia were found shot dead inside their home. Williams was convicted in December 2014 for Cynthia's murder, but at the hearing, he hopes to convince the judge his trial defense counsel was ineffective. Of course he does, because he's right. an attorney and he thinks he's better than everyone. Of course. And that there was, he also claimed there was prosecutorial misconduct. He said there was a secret deal with his wife at the time, Kim Williams, whose damaging testimony against him was key in his conviction. Of course there was a secret deal. She pled. Hello. Yeah. I don't, how secret could it be if she pled Right? Exactly. Well, she she had a plea deal. Yeah. Duh. That's what that means. Public defender John Wright was on Williams' trial defense team and took the stand. During a Q&A, one of his responses was, we might have reviewed a quarter of the discovery. We couldn't read it fast enough. We were just not prepared for trial. So attorney Leon Peel on Kim's defense team was also questioned under oath during the state's cross-exam. Prosecutor Lisa Smith asked, when did the state office offer Ms. Williams a deal right after the Eric Williams trial? And she was offered 40 years. Do you think that was fair? Yes, replied the attorney. So he did not get a new trial. Like, I mean, this was a pretty cut and dry, clear case of he did it and everything pointed to him. And hello, just eat it and go to jail because you're a crazy ass criminal for three computer monitors. I think he was just so narcissistic. Yeah. Had to so been. full of himself that he basically was like, I'm better than all this. I don't need to deal with this. And you got convicted. Right. But I don't see how someone could be that brutal and like shoot someone in the freaking face well insane and at what point in your life do you decide to start making homemade napalm like who makes homemade napalm yeah (laughs) yeah what is that like my brain can't my brain can't handle homemade napalm like i just i i don't even know i think he was (laughs) i think he was gonna do some crazy stuff yeah i mean because no one just takes a whole ton of napalm pickle jars and uses just one to fill someone's stomach no he was gonna do some domestic terror yeah like that i felt like he was gonna blow up the courts he was gonna blow up the courts i was gonna say yeah there's something bigger afoot there but like (sighs) lord and this is the first one that i've really done with like a shooting kind of a 
crazy case like this. I just thought it was interesting because number one, he was an attorney. Yeah. And he was a justice of the peace. Like that's some crazy stuff. Yeah. Like he was elected official and like everyone thought he was a good guy and he just had this flip switch, this little switch inside of him that just flipped on the drop of a dime and he just decided to go out on a murder spree. I mean, homemade napalm. Like I just like <laughs> crazy. No, we're not even going to get into like, it. How like how you make, I mean, just... I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife. Like, how yeah. did she just decide, this is okay, I'm going to help you? Like, had he just manipulated her for so much time, or was she just evil, too? Honestly, I have no idea. Because how do you not be like, oh, my God, my husband's going to kill someone? And she kind of talks about it a little bit, and she's like, at first I just didn't believe him. I thought he was just ranting, because you know how people get sure. Like, oh, I'm going to kill them, and da-da-da. You know, they just get really, like, dramatic, but they don't actually do sure. anything. So maybe she initially thought that's what was going on, but, but she had she an drove ethical him. responsibility to report yeah. him when he freaking gets weapons and drives to the scene of a yeah. crime. Like, are you insane? So I think she deserved to be in life in prison too. She's just as guilty as he is. I mean, 40 years, that's probably... A... She knew about it. She participated yeah. in everything. She may have not have been the actual shooter, but she's just as guilty as he is. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to think we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the night. Yeah, my mind is blown. Unless you have anything else you want to add. (laughs) Anyway, um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast.gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe as well. This allows us to kind of pop on searches for different types of topics for people that might want to hear about certain kinds of things. And social media? Yep. We are at the BFD podcast on Instagram. So we'll post pictures and not recipes for how to make homemade napalm. Gee, many Christmas. No show notes there either. No. Yeah, we don't push show notes on the on That would be kind of boring if you just had a list of yeah. 15 articles for Instagram. It's just a habit of saying it. No show notes. Yeah. There will be no show notes on the Instagram. I can't guarantee I will have any pictures this week either. <laughs> the job has been <laughs> We're so trying, crazy. Okay. We're trying. I'm trying. Stop judging me. <laughs> but on a positive note, um, I have in, um, hired my sister to be an assistant, and she's going to oh. try to help us with the podcast stuff. I don't know how much she's going to be able to do. She's got four kids. Um, (laughs) But I'm hoping that she might be able to help us with posting some pictures and with some of the editing stuff because um, my schedule has just gotten – it's getting busier and busier and busier, and I I don't see any end in sight. So who knows? Um, And then I've got, you know, books out now. I'm five times published. So, like, there's a lot of correspondence, promotional stuff that goes along with getting all that – done so i i really need a personal assistant like a per a, like a full-time personal assistant yeah. so hey if you know anyone right. <laughs> in the illinois yeah. area that wants to be we'll a personal assistant awesome. shoot me an email um anyway please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life Bye. Bye.